It would have allowed victims of human rights violations by a subsidiary of Swiss company to actually bring their case in front of Swiss court. Welcome to the Blue Continent Podcast. I'm your host, Brennan Pertzer, International Research Coordinator for the Blue Continent Alliance, the Blue Continent Podcast, and your Blue Continent. What this program is about, this podcast, what makes it unique is, is finding people who have knowledge or expertise or have worked to address in a sustainable way a lot of global development issues. In late 2020, Switzerland voted on a relatively new kind of legislation, a bill that would have enforced human rights on multinational corporations based in Switzerland, which has more corporate headquarters per capita than any other nation on earth. It would have made corporations liable for offenses carried out by their foreign subsidiaries and subcontractors. The vote failed to reach the necessary thresholds, but was notable in the question it posed and how close it came to coming into effect. Today we speak with Andreas Misbach of Public Eye, one of the most vocal Swiss interest groups lobbying for the passage of this legislation. Well, Andreas, it's a pleasure to, to meet you and welcome to the Blue Continent podcast program. I, I was uh, learning a little bit about your organization and uh, you're the, the joint managing editor for uh, commodities, uh, trade and finance at Public Eye, which is a Swiss think tank and advocacy group uh, to bring greater accountability for the public. Yeah, we consider ourselves as a watchdog of uh, Swiss multinational companies, their activities on people around the globe, especially on uh, impoverished people, bring uh, problematic aspects to detention and a press for political change in Switzerland where needed. Okay. How long have you been involved with them? Well, I personally, since... Ooh, Almost 20 years, I have to say. 20 years. And the organization is around since 1968. Oh, that's a long time. It's a long time, yeah. Cool. Well, last month uh, I was watching as uh, Switzerland uh, voted on this law that would have held Swiss bank multinational, cor- uh, Swiss based multinational corporations to a higher level of accountability. And the vote, it, it sort of passed, but it didn't have enough support from your different cantons, right? And uh, then the, the public was, yeah, I would like to hear you talk about um, basically why this, why this law was necessary and what problem it's addressing. And uh, if it would be relevant international, uh, I mean, for other nations to consider re- legislation like this. Yeah, first of all, to, uh, to explain what an is- initiative in Switzerland, uh, how it works, it's actually um, uh, 100,000 Swiss citizens can demand basically any change in the constitution uh, they want. And uh, then it is uh, first discussed in parliament and then uh, voted by the population. Uh, and But it's a change at, at the level of constitution that then again, if it's accepted both by the a majority of uh, people voting, but also a majority of the cantons, um, then it's again turned into law by parliament. So, but what the, we uh, we aimed for with the with the constitutional change would be to turn uh, the UN guiding principles for business and human rights, which is a soft law standard that tells uh, companies how they to deal with human rights issues. Uh, it basically obliges them to uh, perform human rights due diligence, which means they have to analyze their activities and supply chains for risks with regards to human rights. 
they have to act upon the risks they identify and they have to report both on the risks identified and the measures taken. And that soft law standards would have been turned into hard law, would have been made mandatory for Swiss-based um, Swiss uh, multinationals. There was a second element attached to it, which sort of served as the implementation mechanism, and that uh, would have been a higher accountability, uh, legal accountability, for Swiss parent companies, uh, human rights violations that happened in their subsidiaries abroad. So it would have allowed to, um, of victims of human rights violations by a subsidiary of a Swiss company to actually uh, bring their case in front of a Swiss court. What are some of the Swiss corporations that, that people listening, what they might recognize that uh, would probably have had to uh, be responsible or have to uh, make some changes uh, as a result of this legislation? Well, Switzerland is actually the biggest commodity trading hub in the world. So one third of all the commodities traded worldwide are traded via Swiss-based company. That's not, it's not really common knowledge, but I mean, in that respect, as a commodity trading place, uh, Switzerland is even bigger than uh, as a banking place. So obviously those companies, um, I mean, a lot of commodities are produced or, or the extractive sector is a sector where uh, a lot of human rights violations happen. It's one of the most riskiest sex sectors. Also uh, large-scale agriculture because the traders also trade a lot in so-called soft commodities, agricultural goods. So they, those are definitely two, two sec, uh, entire sectors that uh, where, where we see um, a big need for change. When it comes to companies, well, uh, Glencore is uh, one of the biggest mining companies in the world. It used to be a trading company, turned into a mining company. Today, it's a hybrid between a commodity trading company and a very big mining company. A lot of uh, issues around from Zambia, DRC, Peru, Bolivia. Um, our organization has recently documented um, cases of child labor in their supply chain and uh, the uh, poisoning of rivers in Bolivia, but there are many other examples. Uh, another company is um, Lafarge Ultim, it's a, a cement producer. Then we have uh, the agrotoxic company Zingenta, one of the biggest uh, producers of um, uh, agrotoxics with a, with a large portfolio of so-called highly hazardous pesticides, with which are actually prohibited, uh, be it in Switzerland, in the European Union or in the US, but sold nevertheless uh, in developing countries. So those are typically the companies that um, would have been covered or where the, the need was for such legislation uh, was biggest. When I was reading about this or hearing about it, my initial thought was that like a lot of countries would benefit from having similar legislation, but from what you described, I had no idea that that uh, Switzerland was so involved in in these multinationals, and I think it's probably more important there than just about anywhere. Yeah, and uh, if you look at the the number of multinationals uh, per inhabitant, Switzerland has by far the the biggest or the highest density of of multinationals by inhabitants. And yeah, as I said, commodity trading uh, very big, and of course banking also. There are really some very big beasts uh, here in Switzerland. So, picking up your question that you had before, if if there are uh, similar similar um, similar initiatives going on in other countries, yes, this is the case. In 
France has already a law uh, since 2017 that goes in the same direction as the initiatives. Um, in the European Union, there are uh, there is a discussion now, um, actually at the level of the Commission. Uh, the Commissioner for Justice announced that they are going to look into a similar initiative that combines both human rights due diligence and uh, liability. Our partner organizations in many countries, and especially European countries, the, from the European Coalition of Corporate Justice, they are also um, pressing for similar legislation in, in many countries. In the reports that I heard, it said that uh, that because this law had, had failed to pass, as, as you were hoping it would, that a, a slightly lower bar uh, legislation might be able to pass. What are you looking at next? In connection with the initiatives in Switzerland, there is the possibility of a so-called counter-proposal. And that means basically if Parliament looks at an initiative and they think, well, there, there might be something, either they think, oh, this can be one and we don't like it, or they think, well, the, the ones that propose the initiative, they have a point. So Parliament can can make the so-called counter-proposal, which is already a law that picks up some of the some of the ideas of the uh, original initiative. And in that particular case, we had for a long time an interesting debate because the, the National Council, which is the bigger chamber of uh, the Swiss Parliament, they actually had a counter-proposal that was substantive, where we found a lot of elements uh, uh, that were also in the initiative. And if that one had passed in Parliament, then actually we would have taken back the initiative. We would have said, okay, it's not 100%, but it's, let's say, 70%, and that's big progress. Well, then what happened is that the smaller chamber, um, the, the Senate, they came up with a very different kind of counter-proposal, which was basically just a report requirement. So companies would have to do nothing else than write glossy reports and how they deal with human rights issues and unfortunately that's the one that prevailed and that's the one that will enter into force now now that the initiative did not pass at the council it became already very clear that uh, we don't think that this is a big progress and it's going oh. to make a lot of change i have to say though as an american i look at the idea of a, a mechanism for for a counter proposal as, as a really a, a good idea for, for a government system to have. I mean, it might not have worked out as well or the way you wanted it to here, but in America, we end up with just butting heads and it goes nowhere. But, you know, in lieu of a parliamentary system, I would like to have something. Um, I did hear also that the law that you were you're pushing for, and, and what is what is the official name of it? Consent for Initiative, or in English, uh, Responsible Business Initiative. The Responsible Business Initiative was the most lobbied piece of legislation in Swiss history, is that correct? It was definitely one of the most intense campaigns during the, the, the voting campaign. Very expensive, uh, yeah. Uh, well, there were also fake fake news about the amount of money um, the sponsors of the initiative were able to spend. That was all, There were so many fake news around this initiative, trying to discredit the, the NGOs, civil society organizations behind it by grossly inflating figures how much money they have was one of the fake uh, news. So from our side, it's definitely uh, not that much. Hmm. Um, what, uh, what we know, of course, that uh, while well, the industry associations, they did spend a lot of money. But 
from the civil society side, it, it was it was a historic uh, uh, voting campaign because there was an enormous mobilization. So actually, there were eighty thousand uh, banners hanging all over Switzerland. Basically, wherever you came in every small village, um, there was a banner hanging uh, in favor of the initiative. We had four hundred and fifty uh, local groups. That makes well, Switzerland is a small country, you know, only eight. 8 million inhabitants that made for every every community of more than 8,000 people there was a local group and for the big cities there were local groups in all the in all the districts um, so very very active uh, uh, local groups that mobilized we had uh, because we couldn't do a lot of the rallies and events and movie screaming uh, screenings that we planned because of uh, the virus so we we switched to the biggest uh, postcard mailing uh, action ever happened. There were 800,000 postcards that people wrote to their friend, relatives, to their friends, to mobilize them to actually go to vote and hmm. obviously um, say yes. So that was really, really a big, big, big mobilization. And in that respect, yes, it's a historic, it, hmm. it has been a historic battle. Also from the uh, media, uh, the media coverage, I mean, there has never been uh, so much media coverage on foreign initiative. Who spent most of the money in opposition to you? Well, those are business associations. Um, it's uh, Swiss Holdings, which is the association of uh, holding companies, multinationals. It's Economic Swiss, which is another business association. So they spend a lot of money. Um, and obviously also individual companies in the end uh, towards the end of the campaign a lot of one-page ads appeared uh, signed by Credit Suisse, UBS, uh, uh, Glencore so um, yeah it's both, both the associations but also the the big multinational yeah it's it's not so common or so uh, uncommon to see uh, large corporations opening up the wallet when uh, there's legislation that's going to uh, impact them my home city is seattle washington and we have amazon based there and uh, they they spent more money than anything to prevent like a ten dollar living wage a minimum wage and, and things like that so i'm not so surprised uh, but i am disappointed uh, but i appreciate uh, the willingness of uh, yourself and the people in your, your group at Public Eye to campaign on this and to help people get informed. So thank you for what you do. If people want to learn more about what, uh, what you do, how can they find out more information? Well, it's uh, www.publici.ch. Okay. Uh, What's the next campaign that you're working on? One of the next big thing uh, is uh, about um, why it is why Switzerland is such a convenient place for crooks and corrupt people. I guess it has that history, right? Yes, and unfortunately, it's not well. A lot of things changed and some things improved, but the, unfortunately, yeah. the history is not over, and we're going to expose some of the darker spots uh, around that. It is a complicated history, but I've, I've been to Switzerland and I have a good friend that I actually work with here who is from Switzerland. And I say that uh, the people are some of the best people on the planet and we I appreciate uh, you good folk. Thank you. And I mean, of course, we, we're proud of that uh, system of direct democracy where you can have 
uh, can launch as citizens actually and bring issues to the, to the attention that otherwise are not treated by the political system. And well, it didn't work this time, but uh, it might work next time. And it's not uncommon in Switzerland that an issue needs several initiatives until in the end it succeeds and will certainly continue and we're convinced well, um, time will come when Swiss corporations really have to uh, stand um, if they uh, if their subsidiaries violate human rights abroad. That's a really good point. I'd hate to miss the opportunity uh, to tell my audience if they're not familiar with the Swiss voting system, they should look it up because uh, it's the most the closest thing to direct democracy that that we have in the world anywhere, even though it's not perfect. Well, thank you again, Andreas. You're welcome. You know how to reach me. Thanks for uh, allowing me to talk. It's fascinating. And one of the main things I like to do with my program is when there are ideas that aren't necessarily talked about so much in the mainstream that I give a voice to people to at least consider them and to maybe bring them up at their dinner table. I'd like to thank Andreas for giving us his time and insights into the issue as well as the music provided by Swiss jazz musicians Matthias Rüg, Charlie Antolini, and Nick Barsch. If you're interested in their music, please check them out. And of course, our theme music, The Lone Ranger by Quantum Jump. Thanks everybody for listening to the Blue Continent podcast. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll subscribe and join us again. Tell others about us. This podcast is also available in a raw video format found on our Blue Continent Alliance Facebook page. If you'd like to see our mini documentaries from around the world, visit the Blue Continent YouTube page today. Thanks again for listening. Take care.